Hello, and welcome to Free and Clear. I'm John Collins, the founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have Naomi Wright, the founder of Naomi Wright Ministries at naomiwrightministries.com. And we're asking the difficult questions that people have about religious abuse, breaking them down into simple terms, and helping people to become free and clear. Naomi, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well, John. I am feeling the reality of this topic. And so I'm I'm excited to talk about it, but not in a, ooh, yay, in a, man, this is real, and does it create some messes? So, yeah, I'm ready to dive in. Right. This is a painful topic, even for me. I have lots of friends and family that have been impacted by this topic specifically, and um, it's quite frankly, it's just painful for people to deal with. So we're going to have to be careful how we deal with this topic. Yeah, absolutely. There's, yeah, it's heavy. um, It's painful. And it's something to take very seriously. So hopefully this is helpful for those of you who are listening. I hope it brings some clarity, brings some things to light, increases your understanding of your experiences. And of course, from there, you know, lends itself to some further healing. That's always our goal. Right. So let's get right into it. The question is, our family just left a church that we believe was a cult. I am able to see the signs of a cult, but I really have trouble understanding the leader of our group. On one hand, he seemed genuine, humble, and sincere. On the other hand, he got very upset when people didn't agree with him and said the most awful things about them. We left because he convinced us that he was the ultimate authority when it came to the Bible, and some of what he taught just wasn't true, both about the Bible and himself. How do you explain all of this? So to give a little story to this, just literally last night, I was listening and watching a YouTube video that a mentoring client had sent me about their exit from their cult group. And this video was going, you know, attacking this family, essentially. And it was horrible to watch. It was infuriating to watch. And what what really hit me too was that being more removed from it the red flags of what was going on with this person were so glaring that i was able to just take notes and just write them all down as i watched but when we're in it it's so much more complicated it's so much more muddy than that and so i wanted to just speak to that first that Having an outside perspective can be helpful. Um, So I hope that these answers that we're about to give, uh, again, serve you guys who are listening. First and foremost, I want to point out that in this scenario, this leader, his first and foremost priority is to protect himself. He needs to make sure that he looks good. He needs to make sure that he's the hero and that his persona, how he is seen, is flawless. Okay, so that's right. that's what's most important. He needs to be seen as special and he needs other people to affirm that he is special. So with that being a need, I want to explain this in a different way because we can say, oh, well, I my love language is words of affirmation. I need words of affirmation. 
This isn't the same thing. This is taking this times a thousand to a way more extreme degree. This is saying that this person needs it as in that's his identity. So if you remove that he's special, as an example of of a word that they like, if you remove that he's special, it's as if he doesn't exist at all. It's so much a part of his identity. He's not a person without it. Okay, that kind of need falls into narcissistic personality disorder when we're talking about, no, they really need it or it's as if they vanish and they disappear. It's their life. It's their heartbeat. They have to have it. So, uh, John, I want to break down a little bit more about what are the qualifications to be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder? It's one of those terms that can be thrown around sometimes too loosely And I think it's important for people to have a little bit more footing as we delve into this more of what does this mean as far as an actual diagnostic um, or a diagnosis. And I'm going to go according to the DSM-5. So that's our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. That is our most recent version. And these are the things that are needed to warrant a, um, a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. So first... This does occur on a spectrum of severity from normal to pathological. So all human beings care about themselves and and need something. So there can be this, this very low level narcissism that's just kind of normal in culture. And then we have pathological narcissistic personality disorder, which is what we're talking about really today um, with these leaders. And um Mentally working through your experience, again, with this information in mind can be helpful to understand what happened to you. So here are the criteria that must be met. One, grandiosity and self-importance. So seeing the self as in in an exaggerated form. So if I see myself as an exaggeration of what my achievements and my skills really are. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, a persistent fantasy of success, power, attractiveness, intellectual superiority, or ideal love. So this person is just all about these things. It's kind of like they're obsessive about it. Three, a sense of superiority and specialness. I'm better than you. I'm the best. Four, a wish or need for admiration. I need you to admire me. Not just, oh, I like it. It's enjoyable. No, like I have to have it to the degree that I will require it from you. A strong sense of entitlement. So someone must submit. They have to do what I say. And there is no room for criticism. And if you do criticize me, you come at me, I'm either going to get enraged and lose my mind and come after you. Or if I feel like I'm backed into a corner, I will... I will fake humility like you've never seen. I will apologize. I will be the best repenter of all time. And I will convince you that it's genuine, even though real work takes a really long time. Exploiting others for the sake of self-image. So I will take advantage of you. I will turn and burn. I will run you over. I do not care. I need to look good and I don't care what it costs you. A lack of empathy. No ability to understand another's feelings or step into their shoes. It is all about them. There's no capacity of what it's doing to you. And there's there's no, I, no caring about it. 
envious of others or believes that others are envious. So if anyone else is out, seems to be outperforming or if anyone else seems to be getting more attention than me, I'm going to be jealous and I'm not, not in a covert way either. I'm going to be upset. Okay. I'm going to work people under me even harder because it's now going to be their fault. Or I believe others are envious of me. I'm so amazing that anyone who says anything negative to me, it must be because they're jealous. They can't have any validity to what they're saying. Arrogant attitudes and behaviors. Everything we've been talking about falls into that category. And here's something that's important to note. These personality traits need to be consistent throughout various situations and relationships. They don't, they can't make sense for the person's age. So you don't want to say a a three-year-old has narcissistic personality disorder. Developmentally, it's all about them. It's just where they're at in their development. Um, And that they're not due to substance abuse or a medical condition. Those things can have, have an impact. So if that were the case, a psychotherapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, medical doctor would not necessarily diagnose someone with this personality disorder. Again, they're looking at this whole picture. Um, And it also cannot make sense for the person's sociocultural environment. So again, we're looking at environmental factors as well. So I want to give those as disclaimers. These are things that professionals will look at before they will give such a diagnosis. Um, So again, that last one, that sociocultural environment, it could relate to how people have been raised. So just something there to consider doesn't mean that they don't have narcissistic personality disorder, but it could impact even what their treatment would look like. If it's, um, again, like trauma or something in childhood, it might be a point of reference and a point to start doing work. And John, before I hand this over to you, I want to end with this quote. If, if anyone out there has not heard of Diane Langberg, I highly recommend looking into her. She has done incredible work in the area of trauma, incredible work with narcissistic personality disorder. She's got videos on YouTube. She's got books. She's awesome. Um, She has a quote out there that says, systems do not create narcissists, but systems are needed to fuel them. And I love that. Right? I mean, do you, I like got goosebumps just when I said it. Yeah, that's powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Because we don't create narcissists. They've created, they're, they're who they are. But in order for them to function, to get what they need, our systems have to give it to them. And there's, there's power, there's power for us in that statement. Right. I I think in today's culture, one of the difficulties that people have is that the term is so overused that it actually detracts from how serious this is. People throw around, you're a narcissist if they have a difference of opinion, or if your political views differ and and you're set in stone and, and your ideologies. I've heard that term so loosely used by people that it just becomes so commonplace, but this is a serious disorder. And I was extremely surprised whenever I began, when I first heard the word as a personality disorder instead of just an insult and started educating myself what this actually is. At the same time, I was studying different cult leaders, different cult groups, um, everything from religious cults to political cults to financial cults. And it was odd because every single cult leader fit that mold. It's something that 
it's something that, like you said, it empowers them. There's a system created that they can step onto, but it, it's almost like these are the type of people that rise into these roles because their personality disorder and the, the people who enable them to get to that place. And um, me specifically, we, we came out of a group that the cult leader himself presented himself so humble and sincere. And if you were to even have asked me maybe five years after I left, was he a humble, sincere person? Was he a narcissist? Based on how that word has been misused in today's culture, I would have said no. But after learning the traits and understanding what this actually is, this is a person who was hell-bent on authority, on his image being correct. Anybody who could potentially even make his image look, you know, destroy his image, he was instantly all over them, insulting them, manipulating people to get ahead. And this, this is not something that I would have ever considered until I studied this. Yeah, and John, these leaders, these people who have this disorder typically do have some solid abilities. Like they're not, it's not like they really don't have any. They're very charismatic, very well-spoken, whatever it may be. You know, they really know how to captivate an audience. And so they do bring something. They're also very convincing that they're awesome, (laughs) You know, like they they can sell themselves well because they they believe or they need to believe that they really are who they say they are. And so that's part of how they wind up in these positions, too, is they they convince everyone that it's reality when it's not. Right. So the next question, we are in a church led by a pastor that is a narcissist. And I say that literally without any exaggeration. I've watched him belittle the members of our congregation while they sat listening in horror and watched him do and say things to further enable his control of the people. We would leave, but all of our friends and family are in this church. Is there any danger in continuing to attend the church? So for whomever asked this question, wherever this question specifically came from, I'm not going to say this to diminish what you're saying about the narcissism piece. I'm going to say it this way to make a point. Whether this person would actually get diagnosed with it or not, I don't care. My answer is the same. Yes, there is a danger. There is a danger to you staying in this environment. And here's some reasons why. One, that is a lot of pressure on yourself and your immediate family to withstand that kind of unhealthy and persistent environment that is wearing. And so my concern for you would be the the unhealthy impact on you and your family. Um, this kind of full-time immersion, again, because you're not if this is somewhere you're a part of, it's your community. It's not like, oh, I go there once a week for an hour and I dip out or I'm kind of checking it out or I'm observing or I'm whatever that may be. This is, this is, you're a part of it. You're in it. These are the people that you're texting and calling. This is the environment you're fully connected to, especially in these cult-like environments, right? I mean, those are like all encompassing every aspect of your life. So this is full-time immersion, And it's not going to change the environment. My concern would be that over time, it's actually going to change you. 
And that's something that's we have to be careful of because when we're in an environment for a long time, an extended period of time, as diligent as we try to be, we can start mimicking some of those behaviors that have been modeled for us. We're going to get into that a little bit more here in some upcoming questions. But I will give a caveat. If you are someone who is listening and you're saying, you know what, I want to consider myself a missionary in some form in this environment, and I want to try to help others who do, who attend, that is something you can do, but you really want to know what you're doing. You want to know how you're going to do it, and you want to have really good supports in place for doing that kind of work. And I'm going to pull another quote from Diane because she's just so great. So I think this is I think this is my second or I think I have two or three in this, John. Um, but man, she just nails it. She said, threatened systems often kill their profit. And I want to give you a couple examples. So for those of you who know your Old Testament, your New Testament, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he came forward to the system he was in and spoke about what was going on and they tried to kill him. They literally threw him down into essentially a well and left him there to die in the mud. Okay, so they they didn't want to hear it. In the New Testament, they did literally kill Jesus. Mm -hmm. Okay, so know that if you're going to try to bring truth to the situation, you are most likely going to be the one who's going to get killed. I don't mean that literally, although in some systems, if we look back to Jonestown, there were people who wanted out and wanted to speak against it, and we did have people die. So be aware of that. And um. I don't mean that you don't speak up anyway. I mean, Jesus still spoke. Jeremiah still spoke. But again, be prepared, be equipped, and make sure that you're well supported. Know what you're doing and how to do it. Right. Yeah, we, my family growing up, we went to a variety of cult churches all across the United States from Arizona to South Carolina. And in a cult, this this was religiously abusive churches, but there were levels of the personality disorder. I can't truly say that they were all narcissists, but they were in an environment where the cult leader was, and they were often mimicking what the cult leader did. And what happened is, you know, I can remember from an early age watching as, as a child, watching some of the things that were said, and they were, they were uncomfortable, but they really weren't that bad. But over time, it continued to get worse and worse, and even recently, I've just in the past 10 years watched some of the ministries as they've progressed, and you can see that it's headed in a direction that's not good. Anytime that you have somebody who's belittling somebody right in front of them in public, in front of a crowd, they're not doing that to help that person. So my question my question to whoever is asking this or the group of people that are asking this is, is this something that you would do? If you're, you're attending this church because you're being led and this is a leader that's, you know, he's teaching your children how to act and how to behave. When your children grow up, is that how they're going to behave? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Has Some of this has to do with the personality disorder, obviously, but you really have to come down and ask yourself, is this the way that I want to be? Is this the person that I want to be? Because this is this is the leader of, of my religious group, and this is what he's training me to be. Yeah, and that's going to flow really well into the next question, actually. But before you ask that, um, 
Yeah, I just want to say your observations are dead on. There is a spectrum to narcissistic personality disorder. So yeah, you are going to see different levels of it. Um, and yeah, I appreciate that you've you've literally observed that in your own life. Yeah. Next question. I've been studying narcissism, and I'm coming to understand that the leader of the cult that we escaped matched the personality traits of a narcissist. At the same time, many other people in our group share the same traits. I understand why people in the group share the cult's beliefs about the Bible or opinions about the rules that we lived by, but I don't understand why they act and behave like the leader did. Why is this? So, John, you did just speak to this a bit, and I want to address what I don't think it is first, and that is narcissists attracting other narcissistic people. Now, I'm not going to say that there can't be any of that, but narcissism, in it, like based on definition, means that there would be a lot of competition there, that narcissists aren't going to welcome. Again, it's all about them. And they get jealous of other people who are super, you know, they want it to be about them. So though there would be an interesting dynamic there and they could be, again, they'd be vying for that same head position. So in a religious cult, especially I'd say this typically isn't the case because a leader is in addition seen as God's anointed or chosen one. Um, so again, I find this possibility to be unlikely, at least on a large scale. I'm not saying there there wouldn't be any of this going on, but I don't think it would be the bulk of what's going on. Instead, I think it is that modeling and that mimicking. Um, I think that people are seeing these behaviors. They're seeing how the leader, again, God's anointed, God's chosen. I mean, my goodness, that's a high position, right? So I'm watching that person. I'm going to be like that person. Also, any environment where someone is repeatedly getting pushed down and getting marginalized and getting just treated in an unhealthy or an abusive manner, it is very common, as sad as this is, it does make sense. It's very common that that person is then going to go treat somebody below them that way. It's just, it's kind of how human behavior works. It's tough to get the cycle breaker, the person who's going to say, I'm breaking the cycle and I'm not going to do that. Instead, more often than not, people start to then treat others the way they're being treated instead of creating a new dynamic. And an example of a test in your mind, if you're thinking about this and you're the one who would who would be asking this question is, if you remove the narcissist that you, or the person that you think is a narcissist, would they still behave as one? So if if I'm an if I'm behaving in that way, but I step out of that environment and all of a sudden I'm like, oh gosh, that was a mess. I don't like how I was acting. Then I, I wasn't really a narcissist. I was modeling narcissistic behaviors, and those are poor behaviors. Um, so if if you remove someone who's mimicking their leader, who they believe is anointed and God's holy one, they stop acting that way. Then yeah, they weren't a narcissist to begin with. Right. You know. I'm not a psychologist and don't pretend to be, but it is something that I'm extremely fascinated by. And recently, I had to go out of the country on a mission to help somebody who had been indoctrinated in a cult. And we went with one of the nation's top cult psychologists. Psychologist was with me. And I had to do a crash course on what is cult psychology. 
had to understand how it worked, the mechanics of it. In order to bring somebody out of being deeply programmed, you have to understand how it works. And I, I was completely shocked. I, I thought this was something for sci-fi movies only, right? The, the mind control and the way it works. But the indoctrinated person, somebody who's in a very destructive um, identity cult, and again, there are levels of destructive qualities. So some, some of these destructive groups are worse than others and indoctrinate even more. But when you are exposed to this type of indoctrination, you assume what's called the cult identity. And being that the leader of the cult is usually a narcissist, the identity that you're getting indoctrinated with is that of a narcissist. So as you are suppressing your authentic self, you are bringing in the identity of a person who is a narcissist that doesn't make you a narcissist, but you act like him, you or her. You, you have the same traits and the same responses. So in, in the cult that we escaped, for instance, the leader, if, if another minister were to be a challenge, um, I think Oral Roberts is one of the examples, Billy Graham was one of the examples, as they rose, they become they be basically become the enemy, and you had to look down on this person. And so what happens is everybody who's indoctrinated with his belief are thinking the same things, saying the same things about somebody that they've never even met or even been impacted by. The, you know, these guys were dead and gone for a long time. But people have assumed this cult identity, and they're suppressing their authentic self, they're behaving in ways that their true person would not behave because they're exposed to this type of group. Right. And when someone steps out, like you said, it can be such um, such an intense environment that they were in. And if they've been in it for a long time, they may have a moment where they just kind of wake up and they're like, oh, my goodness, that can happen. But oftentimes it's, it's going to be a journey and it's going to take time. One of the things that the cult psychologist told me was that uh, he was with the people who created the concept for Star Trek's Borg. And it's highly interesting if you think about this, because the Borg queen sends all of her, all of her information down into the Borg drones. And so they all act, think, they, they group, they call it the hive, they act as the hive. So the way that the, the queen is directing the people flows down to each one of the drones. And then if they attack another person and, and basically recruit them into the Borg, that person assumes the identity of the queen and they, they basically spread. Whenever this was explained to me that this concept, the sci-fi sci concept was created as, as a sci-fi representation of a cult, I started going back and looking through all the other movies that I've watched that have similar concepts, and I'm starting to understand that a lot of the horror films, a lot of the things that we strongly detest, came from groups like this, these destructive cult groups. Isn't it fascinating? Yeah, it's like people don't want to see a depiction of themselves. It's really interesting. Right. right. At least painted in a negative light. <laughs> right. Next question. When we were in the cult, everyone seemed genuinely loving and friendly. 
we really felt like we had an everlasting friendships that could never be broken, no matter what we did or said. After we left, though, people suddenly changed. We almost can't be around them. They seem arrogant and uncaring towards us and want us to value their opinion while they trample on ours. They seem to be living in a fantasy world. What causes this, and how can we interact with them? First of all, for anyone who's living this scenario, I'm surprised that you haven't been excommunicated and kicked out just altogether. I'm surprised that the door's even open there to interact. Um... Now, of course, our topic today is narcissism, and I want to say that that could absolutely be at play here. So if the leader or anyone else has NPD, then by leaving, you went against what's most important to them, which is their ego or their self-image. You criticize them, and so you're out. You're no longer of use. In fact, it's it's worse than that in their eyes. Um, you're not only not of use, but you're now the enemy. You're now coming against what they need, which is validation, affirmation. They need to be special. They need they need to be it. And you're saying that they're not. So you now need to be gone from these forms of connection um, because now you have power to take from them or influence others to stop giving this leader what he needs. And first of all, this can also be a she. I'm picking a pronoun just to, to have one. But um, unfortunately, we do have a lot of history of these leaders being men. Um, because of the views of women in religious leadership. Typically, um, that's disallowed in these kinds of groups, um, for sure. Some mainstream Christian groups, too, would say that that's not allowed. So please excuse me if you've had this experience with a female or if you're a male and you're feeling attacked. Um, Females can have narcissistic personality disorder as well. But aside from this possibility, um, there's also fear going on among the congregation. I want to speak to that side of it, too. So you're now known as not being chosen by God. You're not you're not the special elite. You're not the true Israel. You're not whatever word your group used, you know, insert it here. I'm not that anymore. So I'm not loyal to the prophet anymore. The anointed one, the leader. Again, insert your own words. I'm not a chosen one, and so I'm now not loyal to this person. And that's going to create fear among the rest of the congregants, among those people who were so loving. Now, first of all, they're loving because you're one of them and they want you to be one of them. And there's this idea of love bombing where we just shower you with affection and appreciation. And, you know, it's part of what gets people to join and to remain in the group. It's a huge loss for people when they do leave because typical society is not going to welcome you in that way. Um, But I want to give you an example of just give you a visual of what this looks like. So I was thinking about this the other day and what came to mind was if I were tie dyeing a shirt. So if I'm tie dyeing a white t-shirt, I have blue dye. So in this scenario, if you are the person asking this question, you're the person who's left. You're the person who's now not being treated in the same way. You're the dye. And the dye is sin. The congregation is the white t-shirt in their own minds. And white and all the symbolism that you can attach to that. You know, just I'm holy, I'm clean, I'm pure. Now, if, if they interact with you, they risk bumping you and spilling your dye or your sin onto them. And that fear is really real. 
That fear is so real. If I interact with you and you're a sinful one, you're not one of the chosen ones, that could that could taint me. I might not be as pure anymore. I also might be afraid of how my leadership's going to respond to me because I interacted with you because you're now a threat to that leader. And so now I'm at jeopardy. So there's a lot of fear going on in this scenario with the congregation. And so I wanted to point that out too. I think that's really important. Yeah, and I, it's it's funny. I think you have somehow read my mental notes. <laughs> you went down <laughs> one by one exactly what I was thinking as I thought through this question myself. And for those listening, I um I, I'm sure Naomi is similar, but I this is all impromptu. We we basically throw some questions out there, and there's none of the scripted. So most of what I was going to say is exactly that. It is it is the fear. Um, the only additions that I would probably add to that is that the the fear is it's something that you can look at the people and kind of feel sorry for them. Um, I I recently dealt with a person who's very very much a match for the qualifications of a you know narcissistic personality disorder, but they've spent their entire life in this cult. And anytime you challenge them, they have forfeited things their entire life. There are things that they would have loved to do, probably, that the cult would not let them do. And so when they come in contact with critical information, it's not only challenging their belief system and their person, it's challenging the decisions that they've made for the past sometimes 50 years or longer that they would not have made if they weren't in this cult. So it's very difficult for them, even as difficult as it is for you, and their programmed response in most cases cases is just simply to lash out. Yeah, it's a very, oh, it's an incredibly painful experience to go through. And I, John, I'm not going to speak for you. Um, so I'll, I'll say it just for myself, though. I, I'm sure you can relate. Um, those losses are painful. The losses from stepping away. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a new level of them, another tier of losses when I went public as it's very likely you did as well. And yeah, so we don't, we don't say this lightly. Um, and if my tone sounds kind of fired up, it's because I am because this topic irritates me. <laughs> um, right. it, it does. I, it, it upsets me. It upsets me how people are being treated. And so if right. you hear that in my tone, that's why. But it's there's no lack of empathy here. Um, we have lived it ourselves, and it is incredibly painful. Right. I just, it was actually just last night, I got out of a series of calls, each of them almost an hour long, with a person who was dealing with this exact thing. They were confronting somebody who I know is not a narcissist, but they were displaying very narcissistic traits. And the person, they were very close. I think they, I, I think I can say that they were related. They were close family. And the, the person who wasn't in the cult just really got hurt to the extent that they were very angry and they were at the point where they were going to just sever the relationship entirely. And obviously I can't, I can't explain the entire cult structure to them in one phone call, 
but I was able to explain the fear, the, you know, the forfeited life, the, the things that are going through the head of the person who just really hurt their feelings. And I think by the end of it, it helps some because they realize that it's not, it's not the person talking, it's their indoctrination talking. And the way that I tried to help them was to focus the anger. The anger is a normal response, and you shouldn't be embarrassed. You're going to get angry if somebody hurts your feelings that bad. But focus the anger at the correct thing. It's the situation that's bad. It's not the person. The person, in this case, really couldn't help it. They're indoctrinated to be like this. But the situation is just terrible. Yeah. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. I was raised by a textbook narcissist. I've read the traits from grandiose delusions to lack of empathy, exaggerated self-worth, and more. And it seems as though my grandparent, the father of this parent, with the same traits, was the same as my parent. After the death of my grandparent, things quickly worsened for my parent. Will this get better? So, uh, possibly, though unlikely. But I want to give some background, and I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. So, narcissistic personality disorder, um, typically it's not recognized as being something that's genetic. It's recognized as being something that's developed from experiences in early childhood. So if the grandparent had such an upbringing such that they then developed this personality disorder, they didn't have intervention, they didn't have what was needed, you know, early on, and this this kind of blew up and became how this grandparent functioned, it's very likely that the parent was raised in a similar manner. Um, And so that upbringing, again, may have been reflective of the grandparents' upbringing. And so it's possible because of that, they then developed narcissistic personality disorder as well as their form of coping and functioning. If that's the case, and again, I'm making this hypothetical in in broader terms, you know, not knowing the people and, and all of those things, but if that's the situation, the reason this parent would likely have worsened in their expression of the personality disorder is because there's no longer a competition with the grandparent. So they're now able to freely express and kind of let loose, so to speak, and, you know, just fully live into that personality disorder. So without, you know, proper assessment, confirmed diagnosis without treatment, um, it's not magically going to get better. That would be some kind of crazy, miraculous situation that, you know, we would not be expecting. So it's unlikely that it's just going to get better. And even with treatment, it would certainly be a long road. Treatment for NPD is a long road. Um, And sometimes it ends up not being possible because treatment requires the person with the diagnosis to open up to conversation about himself. So he has to be willing to consider 
why he does what he does, what the motivator is, how that serves him, the impact that has on other people. That's a really tough one for someone with narcissistic personality disorder to even care about. So they have to be willing to engage in those kinds of conversations. And some people with NPD just simply are not because it's in direct conflict with their personality disorder itself. Right. I think one of the one of the most important things that you mentioned was we don't have a patient to diagnose, right? There's there's no way to know is this really narcissism or is this just somebody who had a bad childhood? And it's exponentially more difficult because that in the cult you're you're taking the cult identity which has narcissistic traits. So it could have seemed like nar- narcissism. Um one of the things that I've noticed, and this seems to be very common among former members in the support groups, is that members of a cult often do not spend the time with their children and the focus on their children that they normally would if they weren't in a cult. They're very cult-centered. They're their thoughts, their words, they're all usually about either the cult leader or the doctrine. And raised in this environment, it's very difficult for children raised in this environment. They, um, you know, they don't get the same level of love and attention that non-cult children do in a lot of cases. I'm not going to say all cases. But when you're raised in this type of environment and you don't have the same connection with the parent, whenever that parent dies, then you'll never get that same level of attention with your parent that you always wanted. So some of them become aggressively worse. I have also seen cases where this happened and a new support group was formed with somebody who didn't have the narcissistic personality traits and a healthy relationship is formed. Things did get better. So it really depends on the person and is this really a disorder or is this just you know, is this just a result of being in a cult? And I will say that some of the members who um, who experienced family member, you know, they were raised in a family that they believe might have these personality traits. Whenever the focus shifts away from the parent to trying to better themselves, it's not something that... Um, it's not something that gets worse if you're trying to improve. And if you can focus that improvement on the family members or friends who you would like to help, you know, anytime you can support somebody who needs help, it has to get better to some extent, in my opinion. Yeah. Narcissistic personality disorder is so interesting because I have seen so many people, um, gosh, even just working in hospice and seeing people lose loved ones and the work with families afterward and seeing how that's impacted them, how kind of like you mentioned, you can see an increase in certain behaviors. You could see a decrease in other behaviors. There's also can be a grieving process, you know, that that is, of course, impacting that. And so it might not be something that sticks long term, that immediate response, it could change. So yes, I mean, if if this parent is acting out of 
grief, they're in their grieving process, then yeah, it could simmer down and calm down in time. It depends on if it's a true narcissist or not. If it's a true right. narcissist, it's not going to just magically calm down. Right. Um, right. So yeah, it really depends on on that diagnosis. Wow. We got through this and this, this was a painful topic. I, I will admit, <laughs> um, it's one that I've, I've had to address from time to time in the support groups that I'm working with, but each time every situation's different and you don't want to just simply say this person is a narcissist because it, it could just be the cult identity. There's so many variables, so many factors that you have to think through. It's an extremely difficult topic. Yeah, it is a difficult topic. And again, what I think is so helpful because there's um, there's a, a difference in how there's two options typically, kind of two camps for how people view diagnoses. They see them as, well, you're, you're putting someone in a box, you're categorizing them, and you're attaching this label. Um, and that can be seen as bad. Now, the other camp is, but the label can help people know how to serve them better so that they're able to progress. And that's the camp, of course, I am, or I, I wouldn't you know, be in the field I'm in. I think that the label can be beneficial when it's not used to push someone down. It's used to serve that person and serve others who are being negatively impacted by that person. And so that label can be really powerful. So again, for those who have been listening to this episode, the hope is that giving more um, clarification and more detail and some ideas of application around narcissistic personality disorder, that that would help you, even if someone doesn't fully warrant that diagnosis, because you may not know that, you know, you may not know their their upbringing and, and things like that. So you may not know, but you can know if someone is at least showcasing attributes of that. And again, use that to determine how do I interact with this individual? What kind of separation do I need? How is this impacting me? How is this impacting my family? What steps do I take to make sure that that we're safe and we're healthy? Right. And they may not have the actual narcissistic personality disorder. They may have no idea that they're displaying these traits. And if you were to explain it to them and and educate them what it is that they're doing and and educate them some to narcissism, most people who aren't narcissists would be just mortified that they're acting like this, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it is very good to, you know, to think through it and gently talk through it with people. Yes, I always, always encourage people to have the hard conversation and right. do it in a wise way. If you're going to go have that car- hard conversation, maybe have a witness. <laughs> maybe have someone with you just in case it does go really badly. Um, but yeah, do that because then then you're also, you're going to have more information. But there's hope that it could go well. And if it doesn't, right. then you've X that out. You have more information to go on and you can choose your next step accordingly. All right. Well, this was fun. If you have questions that you'd like to hear answered on our show, please send them to us. You can contact us on the contact page of freeandclearshow.com, and we'd be glad to hear from you. We want to help you become free and clear.